0: Guys, we are back. Nashville, we are back. Yes, this is Plugged In, the Nashville Soccer Podcast, and today we'll be getting into a little bit about Nashville SC, but also Columbus Crew SC on two different sides of the spectrum in terms of uh, age and history in Major League Soccer. But, no, in fact, they have a little bit in common, and so I've got the chance to bring in uh, Columbus Crew beat writer for the Columbus Dispatch, Jacob Myers, and we'll be talking a little bit about just that. And then we're also, of course, we've got Nick Gray in the building. Fellas, how are we doing today? Doing great, Jake. How are you? I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good. Now, for those who don't know, uh, Jacob Myers is also a Ohio native and a, a greater uh, Columbus, Ohio native. But so is our very own producer, Nick Gray. Small world.
1: It is a small world. It's very nice Yeah, you. we love
0: that. I mean, Ohio He's... soccer, I mean, can you, can you guys just give me a picture of what, how how much, I mean, obviously, crew being an MLS original, that is something that was probably part of both of your childhood to begin with, but give me a little bit of a perspective on how much it's grown, soccer has grown, especially in the
1: capital. Well, I
0: think... Yeah, Nick, i
1: Go ahead, sorry. Go ahead, Nick. <laughs> no, I, I mean, the, the crew stadium was the first soccer-specific stadium built in the United States, so that's always like the... When you talk about the Columbus crew, that seems to be at least until the mess with Anthony Precourt and this new stadium happened, uh, that seemed to be the first, like, moniker that they that the crew had. Now, my first real experience with MLS was the year that the crew won, at least in terms of as a fan, the year the crew won the uh, MLS Cup with Guillermo barros Schelotto, Frankie Hayduck, and all those people. Um, and a really fun team to watch. So, you know, I, I, I've been a, a crew fan ever since. Uh, I don't know, uh, you know, Jacob covers the team, so I know he's not necessarily a, a fan per se, but um, I, I don't know. Jake. Did Jacob, did you, uh, did you attend many crew games as a kid?
2: Definitely when I was younger. It, it's kind of funny. Uh, we were actually uh, close family friends with um, the GM at the time before pre came on board. So, attended quite a few games. It was all always pretty tapped into what was going on, but you know once got to high school and, and certainly college, which you know it was so funny. Ohio State is only a few miles down the road from Moffrey Stadium, and honestly, you know it probably reflects poorly on me because I didn't really know the schedule of MLS and whatnot. But I never really knew when a crew game was, or couldn't sense that you know the team had a bigger. Footprint, then I believe it has a big footprint now, but I just kind of took that as why did you not expand your fan base into that close college community? Uh, and I think this new downtown stadium will probably do it. It's going to be an attractive location for uh, college age students. And that's a good transition. Obviously, we're talking about the stadium
0: here, and you know, just to, to give a little bit of the news side, of course, with Moffrey Stadium, as you mentioned, being 28 million dollar stadium, going up the first soccer-specific stadium in 1997. Um, the Columbus Crew being an MLS original, and then of course uh, the Crew have broken ground as of October on a new uh, stadium in the Arena District downtown that is set to be open, according to the Dispatch, in July 2021. Worth about 300 million dollars. Talk to me about the Jacob. Talking about this being there, being so used to having Montfrey, and then all of of a sudden there's a new entity, there's a new goal, there's a new thing to look for. Because for Nashville, it seems as if this was something that they've looked forward to from the jump. But for Columbus fans, I mean, a soccer-specific stadium that was their stadium has been the case pretty much all along.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, then when the stadium was built, obviously especially for USA-Mexico matches, which has kind of become a staple over the years at Moffrey Stadium. It was certainly a destination in the earlier years, and now when you're kind of in this MLS 2.0, as people like to say, and all these expansion franchises and a bunch of new stadiums coming on board in the the foreseeable future, Moffrey Stadium doesn't offer anything really around the area. Certainly tailgating appeals to a lot of hardcore fans that have been there, been around there for a long time, but the new destination is going to be right downtown in what they call the Arena District, uh, right by Nationwide Arena, which has the Columbus Blue Jackets of the NHL, and then there's Huntington Park, which is a, a baseball stadium for the Cleveland Indians AAA affiliate, and then just to the west of that ballpark is the soccer stadium, so you kind of have everything that you need right there. And they're also kind of going to build office retail spaces just kind of make anything around the stadium, as the team likes to say, a 365-day venue. They don't want people just there on match days. They want it to be appealing every day of the year. And and I think that's kind of what you get in this new MLS 2.0, like I said, in these new stadiums. Montferno Stadium doesn't necessarily have that right now. But it certainly has that old, timely appeal, and I don't think... Uh, that's
0: lost on anyone. Yeah, you guys, you two don't seem to be the, the misfit type guys, but I'm just curious, you know, like being, just growing up, as whether you're in college or you're a team, just going up and around and hanging out with your friends in the city, I wonder what it would have been like if, for you, maybe this stadium would have came a little bit earlier. I mean, what exactly does this do for, you know, teams, and basically the demographic that, you know, MLS is hoping to, to get to, to to make them lifelong fans. I mean what does this do for for Columbus citizens, Columbus natives and especially in that downtown area, does this does this get to them a little bit more? I know Jacob you talked about in the college
2: demographic, but what about some of the some of the youth? Yeah, I think where it is, you know, just to give a perspective, uh, the stadium is gonna lie west of downtown and it's close to this river. is called the the River. Um, and it's where the stadium is is going to be placed and where it's being constructed now, you have a much better look into downtown. And actually, where they're constructing the supporter section, where they're going to be looking onto the field, they're also going to be able to see into downtown. So I think when you're talking about things that appeal to a younger audience, it's, it's kind of those views and, and amenities that make this new stadium kind of feel like the spaceship. I think said one time that it looked like something out of Star Wars. I don't know if that, you know, is going to come to fruition, but when you're talking about things that appeal to younger people, it's, it's that look and kind of crisp uh, view of, of the new stadium. Now, when you're driving down, there's this giant kind of tower that you can see if you're coming from the west into the stadium. And just plastered on it is the crew SC logo. That is the type of kind of visual presence that wasn't there in the past. And this new uh, front office and ownership has been really smart about that. Now, I think it'll be years before we actually see, is this team becoming more like the Columbus Blue Jackets and kind of shrinking that gap in terms of popularity? Uh, It's certainly possible, but time is going to tell. Nick,
0: what was it like? Coming up in, in Columbus, do you think that if this stadium was there, you know, during your time, you know, what, what it would have done for you? What were you up to at that time, as a team? I don't I don't,
1: I don't know if I would have gone to, to more games. Uh, I think uh, you know I'm a, I'm I'm a big Blue Jackets fan, so I, I've been I in college I used to plan my trips home around Blue Jackets games and uh, spring break. I was always hopeful to have a a homestand during that week I went to the University of Kentucky so I was three and a half hours away so I had you know I wasn't able to pop over for a game after after uh, class like somebody who went to Ohio State would have but uh, I will say this it is very both Nationwide Arena and Huntington Park are excellent venues Uh, I know uh, Nationwide's been built now it's, it's on its 20th year of, of of existence you know it's been here for two decades and I think the building stands out just as as much as it did before in terms of the newness and the originality uh, I think you know all that looks nice Huntington Park uh, Huntington Park also is a nice you know nice place I've been to many a dime a dog night I don't know if Jacob has been to a Absolutely. dime a dog night yeah dime a dog night is fun on Monday in the summer I know that there are probably a lot of college kids we we're kind of upset that that won't happen most likely this year um, due to the uh, pandemic. But uh, I think it's going to be nice. I think it's going to going to be an added reason why you know go either before or after the game. If I did live there now, I, I I've always said that I would uh, would go to you know double digit uh, Clippers and Blue Jackets games, and I would assume that anybody like me who would be in that same situation that lives in columbus would be th- would do the same thing if there is a crew stadium downtown now, now i uh i graduated right next to moffrey stadium in high school and it is that that uh that whole area around moffrey stadium is is not the best part of columbus you know it's not a bad bad area per se but it is the fairgrounds and it is older uh, there's parking issues there it's just not a great place to go to, um, to be honest. You, you park, uh, you know. You used to park in. I don't know if it's the same way now. I haven't been to a game in like a couple of years, but I know back in the day, you went and parked in, you know, this on this rocky parking lot. It wasn't necessarily paved all the way through, and you kind of had a little bit of a walk to the uh, the game, and it was just this wide open flat area. Um, around an old fairgrounds Uh, I don't know if that's the case now but uh, it it wasn't there wasn't any real great reason besides the fact that you were a soccer fan and you liked the atmosphere to go to Cruz Stadium which is now Moffrey Stadium Uh, so I think that probably discouraged or at least didn't encourage people like a stadium in the arena district would would be like and that's I think for Nashville SC fans looking at the same situation where they're building a stadium inside the old fairgrounds area. I know they're going to try to build up around that area, but the fact remains, once you leave the fairgrounds, it's not the nicest, cleanest, uh, most ap- uh, visually appetizing area, no matter what they do with the fairgrounds area. And my concern with Nashville LC is that they're making the same... They're kind of create the same kind of flaws that Columbus Crew found once they got to the 2010s, and they're like, okay, the stadium's the stadium isn't isn't creating one of the best atmospheres and one of the best places in MLS, and so that's my concern with Nashville SC. Just just drawing on my experiences from the Columbus Crew and all that. I don't know what you guys think about that, but yeah, Drake, I mean,
0: I think it's interesting because obviously with this. Stadium with the Nashville Soccer Stadium and, you know, in the fairgrounds area. It's not like what the, the crew stadium will be in the arena district. It's not going to be on Broadway. It's not going to be in close proximity to Bridgestone Arena or Nissan Stadium. It will be, as you said, the fairgrounds. And you know, we don't know exactly what type of factor that that mixed-use development that uh, much of, you know, we had the Tennessee and have reported on uh, and that, that parcel 8C ground that is at that 2.4 acres that is involved in that 10-acre mixed-use development. I mean, we don't know what type of uh, entertainment that will bring, what type of road that will organically assume You know, when, once mid-May 22 comes, which is when the stadium is expected to be complete and to be ready for for youth. So, I mean, it's interesting because, like you said, Nick, I mean, I drive around there and it's not necessarily like, you know, it's not like you're driving through Hillsboro, or you're not driving through 12th South, or you're not driving through Brentwood or Franklin. I mean, it's a little bit different. Um,
1: there, or, there are not, there are not already concerned. people That's there. Like yeah. There, there's not a lot yeah, of walkable, I mean, people aren't walking around that area.
0: Exactly. And, again, I mean, this, this plaza part of this mission use possibly could be, I mean, like I said, there's so much that I think we still need to figure out of what Nashville wants to do what National Soccer Holdings and what owner John Ingram wants to do with this mixed development because I think that's going to be a big factor when you take a look at how much of an entertainment piece is this going to be for fans that are not sitting in their seats in the stadium ground. I mean, what exactly is that going to look like? Um, and, of course, I mean, there hasn't even been construction, they haven't even broken ground yet, Nashville FC, so it's a little bit different as opposed to Columbus Crew, who you know, maybe they'll get a chance to see within this next calendar year uh, what exactly it'll look
1: like. And Jacob, do you, do, you, do these flaws sound kind of familiar to you?
2: Yeah, no, absolutely. And when, you know, just seeing that Nashville the building at the fairgrounds, I mean, just the main fairgrounds, you know, there's a direct correlation in the mind to But then reading that they're trying to build up around it, I think that's the right way to go about it. And I don't know Nashville, but, I mean, maybe you could speak to this, Drake. It doesn't seem like there is as much available real estate as there probably is here in Columbus. Just, for example, before Nationwide Arena was built here 20 years ago, you know, the arena district was nonexistent. That was the site of the old um, penitentiary, and so they built that on that site, I think, less than 10 years later, 2008, if I'm not mistaken, was when Huntington Park um, was constructed. And now to the west, they were going to put a casino on the stadium site, but that fell through, um, and and it was just available for for the crew. So in terms of prime downtown real estate, uh, the crew really couldn't have lucked out any better. There was just something available and really not far off from the Main stretch of, of nightlife in Columbus that attracts a lot of the people you would expect to attend the soccer match. Yeah, I would. I would say I wouldn't. I wouldn't
0: be quick to think that whether it was majority owner John Ingram or you know CEO Ian Air were ignoring any potential opportunity in the Broadway area, the immediate downtown area, or perhaps even in the East Nashville area, which of course many of Nashville FC fans. Live in the East Nashville area, but the real estate, as you said, Jacob, is not necessarily as uh, as open as maybe other sports markets, uh, particularly in the immediate downtown metropolitan urban um, area of Nashville. And so, yeah, it definitely does have a bit of a slim picking type of feel to it. And as we talked about it earlier with the mixed use part, I think whether it be this open plaza, quote unquote, of that's what. The, the ownership has said I mean that could potentially be what I guess what is building around with the arena district and what you have at the arena district in Columbus but I'm quite I'm quite curious to know in, in terms of Columbus I and mean, is is the fan base wanting to get to that place where they can have that or is this more more about simply just being more modern? The stadium itself, is it, is it about the stadium and then everything else, or is this, this all encompassing? You know, we want the stadium and we want the entire vibe with it as well. I think a little bit
2: of both, and certainly they're just craving for really anything new um, that, that shows the crew is a staple of the city. I, I think they're far off from there, but, you know, moves they've made in the front office, such as um, you know, obviously hiring Tim as your, your GM is uh, certainly going to create headlines and Caleb Porter as your coach. But then to grab um, Steve Lyons as your CBO, who was a, a huge part of the Save the Crew movement uh, and was really a driving force behind the scenes uh, with Alex Fisher and the uh, Columbus Partnership to get something over the line. And, you know, now they have a sponsorship deal, The a jersey sponsorship with, with Nationwide, which is arguably the biggest company and certainly the most visible in downtown Columbus. So I think that is primarily what the fan base, at least the hardcore fan base, wanted to see is a front office that is being bold and aggressive and trying to assert themselves into the conversation in Columbus and Columbus sports, which is obviously dominated by Ohio State. And, I mean, I think the city is really looking to it, too. They're they're putting forth from public money, the city, county, and state, uh, upwards of $140 million. And that is driving $1.2 billion of investment in the arena district area. So it's not just about building the club, also the city, which then I think fans look at as, okay, bring more jobs, more excitement to downtown this new shiny object in the arena district, maybe that can stick out
0: to people who weren't soccer fans before. Yeah, it's interesting that you meant the, the breakdown. You mentioned the breakdown of it, because it obviously with Nashville, that was a big part of the postponement and the, the lack of production and the lack of progress for the stadium deal getting done. Now, of course, it, the Nashville SC ownership had to bring forth an extra $54 million in terms of you know, potential expense, expenses, with part of that, the $19 million being in infrastructure, and then, of course, an extra 35 by simply you know, just taking a look at what could possibly be in debt for the stadium. And then, of course, with the city, I mean, that, yes, that $225 million in bonds is still there, but you know, the club had to put in an extra effort, and to some who were completely on the NASCAR side, a lot of fans, were frustrated in that regard because they felt that that deal was already done and handshaken in words. But of course, there I don't see it doesn't seem to be as much of a collective partnership or maybe an even collective partnership as it is in, in Columbus For Nashville. It's more or less really just the club putting a lot of its cost on itself and the the, the city being more off the hook than what was originally agreed upon earlier uh, last year. So that could be a lot more of an accountability factor. We'll see that that accountability factor does and pays dividends for good for Nashville FC fans. But when, when I take a look at this deal as well for Nashville, yes, take into account that they were somewhat distracted by the fact that NASCAR and that racing was still a part um, of the fairgrounds. And obviously when it comes to, you know, Mr. John Ingram having to cater to a possible buffer and uh, mixed-use development to have some sort of separation between this stadium and what could potentially be a refurbished and reinvigorated racing community at the fairground or possibly a, I mean, tracking a new race at the
2: fairground. So I think that played a factor in it as well. Yeah, and, and maybe you can weigh in on this too, but the big difference I see... You know, not just with Nashville and um, public money not being there as much as they maybe had anticipated. Look at Austin as well. Just, you know, not the only real concession they gave if the pre-court was didn't have to pay property taxes um, on the stadium site. Whereas Columbus, you had soccer there, and the city was trying to keep it. Nashville, Austin, they were trying to bring soccer to the city. So I think... In Columbus, you know, the public officials didn't really have much of a choice. They had to act, whereas, you know, the cities and, and National and Austin can kind of say, okay, what is your best offer?
1: Totally agree with yeah, that. It,
2: yeah, absolutely. And,
0: Nick, if you wanted to, I, w- I, w- I was curious as someone who, of course, I had came in um, in October, but in terms of, you know, the summer and maybe the, the beginning of 2019 on how this, was probably a much faster moving, you see a much faster moving conversation beforehand. Uh, were some of these factors to you, were some of these factors a, a factor in the beginning of this past year, or was this something that was more of a surprise to you in terms of the distractions of racing, um, a lot of investment taxes, and a lot of different uh, breakdown financially between Metro Council and National Soccer Holdings?
1: I hope that Nashville continues to show the support that it has. I think I guess I was a little surprised about the the friction uh, in terms of, of the stadium and the and the idea of racing continuing on. Um, it it to me, the area is an area that's not being used for much of anything. There's there's eight to ten race weekends, and there's your usual fairgrounds stuff. But in terms of the, the, the scope of Nashville and everything becoming newer and bigger and better, it seemed like that area was just falling majorly behind. and it certainly I think adds you know added some, some you know added push to say that we need to get this done here in a, and, and, and get it done here and figure out the rest later. And it kind of seems that way, that that's what's, what's happened is, all right, we're going to shove this MLS franchise through, and we'll figure out the stadium later. All right, we're going to get the stadium financing through. We'll figure out the rest later. And so it kind of seems like it's a piece-by-piece piece thing that still, every, every part kind of had friction. And I'm kind of surprised by that, given the fact that that area is just in the scope of Nashville, isn't really playing a part in what new Nashville And I know we say that all the time in, in, in stories. And I think I saw a headline about a new, new Nashville and that just, I don't want to even think about that because I'm barely grasping what new Nashville is now. I can't imagine a new, new, new Nashville, but I think Nashville needs that area to be a part of what it's doing uh, uh, of new Nashville. And I think, the easiest way for that to happen is for that soccer stadium to be built and to build stuff around it. But the friction was surprising, and I guess I underestimated how much the racetrack really meant to to what Metro Council and the uh, the mayor was in, in terms of what they thought about that uh, area. I don't know about you, Drake, because I know you've you and Yeung, uh our Metro reporter. You guys uh, have kind of tag team what's been going on with all that. But I, I was surprised to, to, to realize how much that racetrack meant to the whole equation.
0: So we're, we're, we're going to go ahead and leave that for, I guess, our listeners to discuss on our own terms, but move on, of course, to our final point. And Jacob, I wanted to bring you in on, on this as obviously both of our, our, our concern and our coverage for the clubs and and the respective markets have been, when is Major League Soccer going to return to play? And, of course, this has been a a conversation the past few weeks in terms of ESPN, Jeff Carlisle, and, of course, The Athletic, and uh, Stephen Goff at The Washington Post reported about Orlando, Florida, being the target city for a return potentially in early July. And, actually, The Athletic has just... uh, reported an update on what this could potentially mean for teams of course the players, MSPA, the Players Association has not signed off on this and has not been confirmed but the Athletic is reporting that with this deal there will be four groups of all 26 teams in which the Seattle Sounders, LAFC, Atlanta United and Orlando City would head those four groups and all MLS teams will be playing five matches in some sort of you know, 18-knockout-style competition. Um, And for Columbus and for Nashville, I think it'd be interesting just to touch on the fact that, you know, obviously Columbus being an original, so it doesn't necessarily compare literally to Nashville, but the fact that there has been such turnover at the top of the club with some of the club's top players, and, of course, Caleb Porter being a relatively new manager, and then, of course, with Nashville being an entirely new franchise a new team. Does this postponement and perhaps a accelerated return to play and a pretty much uh, kind of like a youth tournament in a way where you're playing some of the games in a smaller amount of time, does this maybe set them back a little bit more in terms of trying to get that cohesion that they were trying to build, trying to have the managers and the coaching staff make sure that they can issue and voice what they want from Nashville and from Columbus respectively into the players of so that these two teams can perform well.
2: For for the crew, I don't know if it makes too much of a difference when, when you're talking about the starting 11 at least because the, the really significant changes where they brought on Lucas Delarion to um, play for key grace in League MX and, and at the first couple games at least looks like quite a talent and you know, they their big DP signing so expect him to still be their best player and then the others he brought on with uh, Vito Wormhorn, Darlington Nagby, He, who is an MLS veteran. Um, Vito Wormhorn is a former captain and in leagues um, across the pond. So, yeah, I, I don't know if it makes a big difference from there, just because I think you have leadership with those guys. Now, how quickly they go from training to games. You know, these guys aren't going to be 90 minutes fit, so you're going to have to rely on the bench. And I'll be interested to see if they relax some of the number of substitutions in these matches. There's been some talk that maybe they go from three to five. Some younger players who would then maybe get some more playing time. Maybe that's where you see some of the continuity issues. But in terms of the starting 11, just because of the new players uh, that Columbus brought in, they're kind of veterans. I don't think that'll be a huge hiccup.
0: Yeah, I think for Nashville it would be interesting because much of what Gary Smith, the head coach for, was trying to implement was a lot more direct and a lot more efficient play in the final third. Much of the defense and the midfield was already down packed. I mean, being able to, I talked with the coaching staff and watched their preseason training for a little over a week and saw the end portion of what they had been working on all January. And it was really coming to fruition in terms of the defensive solidity and being able to connect and play calm and controlled in the midfield with Dax McCarty and uh, as well as Anabal Godoy in the central midfield, and then working with Hani Mukhtar um, in that, I guess you could say, a triangle of the two defensive midfielders and Hani Mukhtar being your number 10 uh, in the attack. And I think it would be interesting to see if Gary Smith's project of wanting to find a little more creativity, a little more direct and more aggressive play in the final third, uh, would that is this more of a second chance, or would it be more of starting over what he was looking for to do uh, in, in the next couple of matches after playing Atlanta and Portland in Week 1 and Week 2? So that would be interesting. But, you know, Jacob, of course, we missed our time to, to meet. I know we talked about you, know, you coming down uh, for the match March 21st, which was postponed when the crew was scheduled to come down and play Nashville at Nissan Stadium. But hopefully, we'll get a chance, and you know, when this all blows over, hopefully, we'll get a chance to link in and uh, watch these clubs play. Yeah,
2: absolutely. And I'll get some hot chicken while I'm there, hopefully.
0: Yeah, man, hot chicken, of course. I've actually been curious about Columbus because uh, it seems like there's so much going on over there, but just because they don't have, you know, like a crazy NFL team, or obviously, with you know, they've got the Blue Jackets, but. With the NFL, the Cleveland having the Browns and the Indians, I not see so much about Cleveland um, and Cincinnati too. But you no, know, I'm very curious about Columbus.
2: Very curious about Columbus. If, if you like Nashville, you, you'll like uh, the Midwest five, here.
0: Indeed, indeed. Well, and to go along uh, with this potential tournament, I just want to end with the fact that um, this doesn't necessarily mean that it would be the only tournament, the only play of MLS. Uh, we could see some more action in in, in the fall and possibly uh, in the beginning of the winter in December. So we'll just have to wait to see. But, Jacob Myers, I really appreciate you coming on. I mean, it's been a pleasure. And as I mentioned, hopefully one of these days uh, we can get a chance to go ahead and see this whole thing through. If you want to follow Jacob's coverage at the dispatch, um, obviously go to his Twitter, where he posts all of this stuff, that's underscore J.C. Myers. And then, of course, if you want to check out his coverage online, go to dispatch.com, the Columbus Dispatch. Jacob, thank you so much. Thanks, man.